0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, o Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So, on this second Sunday of Advent, we find ourselves in the wilderness of the Judean countryside. Wilderness, of course, bespeaks danger. Wilderness is a dangerous place. You never know what or whom you will find in real real wilderness. And sure enough, today we encounter one of the Bible's more unforgettable characters. Dressed in camel's hair and munching on locusts and honey, the man who emerges from the wild this morning is every bit as menacing as his surroundings. His name, of course, is John the Baptist. The Episcopal writer Barbara Brown Taylor calls him the Doberman Pinscher of the Gospel. She gives him this moniker because it seems as if John wants nothing more than to sink his teeth into us, shake our souls around, and scare the living daylights out of us. The kingdom of heaven is drawing near, John shouts. You had better be ready. Repent. 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 Repentance is one of those words, unfortunately, that carries with it a lot of negative baggage. Too many of us think that to repent means to beat ourselves up over our failures and mistakes, and that God will not love us unless we do. But that is not, I'm here to say, what repentance is about. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means simply to turn around. To repent is to reorient oneself, to acknowledge that we may be going in the wrong direction, and to find one's bearings. Repentance is not so much about guilt and shame as it is about turning toward God and asking God for his help in reclaiming the good, the true, and the beautiful in our lives and saving us from the array of self-destructive habits and practices and idols to which we too often succumb. As the Franciscan writer Richard Rohr puts it, Most of us, when we were young, were taught that God would love us only if and when we change. In fact, that has it backwards. God loves us so that we can change. What empowers change, what makes us desirous of change, is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. End quote. Now those of us who have fallen deeply in love with another person know what Roar means. When you first feel yourself drawn to another person in love, suddenly... The most important thing in the world is to become a better person for that other. Not only do you want to look your best and be at your most charming, but more profoundly, you want to share all that you value with this other person. Your friends, your family, your treasure, your hopes, your dreams. To be in love is to find oneself in the grip of a longing to become worthy of the other's love, to better oneself for the sake of the other, genuine love always provokes change towards the good. To repent, in this sense, is preparation for love. To repent is thus not about dwelling in guilt, so much as it is to acknowledge as honestly as we can, all of the things, the vanities, anxieties, compulsions, addictions, self-absorptions, disordered affections, and the like, that are keeping us from being our very best selves for God and for each other. To repent is to name these broken parts of ourselves and to ask God's help in clearing them from the landscape of our lives so that we might align ourselves more closely with his will for us. Such repentance, as today's gospel reminds us, is not just reserved for Lent. It is also one of the central tasks of Advent. It's the purple part, not the blue part. As we patiently await the coming of God into the world, we first have to ask whether we're really ready for his arrival. Borrowing a phrase from the prophet Isaiah, John the Baptist urges us to prepare the way of the Lord, one of the great arias from Handel's Messiah. Just as the exiled people of Israel long ago were told to clear a path for God, to make a way where there appeared to be no way. John tells us, likewise, to make room for God's arrival, to remove the obstacles and impediments, to clear out the old animosities and grievances, to cut back the weeds of doubt and greed, to open ourselves to God's desire for a new world, a new world in which all of God's creatures can flourish. So how do we know when we're prepared? How do we know when, that our repentance is genuine? Anticipating a major theme of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist tells us that the mark of true repentance is fruitfulness, or as he puts it, bearing fruit worthy of repentance. Now this is an important point that I'm afraid many Christians miss about the life of faith. The mark of a faithful life is not so much about achieving personal happiness, as our secular culture teaches, or even as our Declaration of Independence teaches. The mark of a faithful life is bearing fruit. To be fruitful is to acknowledge that God has blessed each one of us with certain gifts. Be they talents, skills, passions, opportunities, relationships, experiences, or whatever. And the question then becomes, how are we going to honor and make the most of these gifts we've been given? Not merely for our own satisfaction, but for the common good, for building up God's kingdom. To be fruitful in our faith is to recognize that we are each a part of God's larger project of renewing the cosmos, and that our role is to cultivate, grow, and use the various fruits we've been given toward the betterment of God's whole creation. And if we do that, what Christ promises us is not human happiness as such, but rather something much better and much more enduring, which we'll talk about next week on the third Sunday of Advent, and that is joy. Joy. The complete joy we receive by participating with God in the creative act of redemption. You see, one of the paradoxes of Christianity is that we find our truest identity as faithful people, as God's children, when we give up on our selfish preoccupation with our own happiness and begin instead to look outside of ourselves, loving and serving others and serving God. As C.S. Lewis once quipped, if you're interested in happiness I would not recommend Christianity. I did not become Christian to be happy, Lewis once said, for I always knew that a good bottle of port would do that. (laughs) I became Christian so I could be freed from my own feeble efforts at finding happiness and instead be found by God and made a participant in his beloved community. Now, glimpses of this beloved community, glimpses of God's vision for the new world are splashed all throughout Scripture. And we heard one such illustration, one of the most famous passages from Isaiah in our first lesson. And what Isaiah says is that God desires for this world to be a place where peace and equity rather than fear and hatred reign. God's desire for this world and his intention is to make it a place where we view each other with compassion, where no creature is hurt or destroyed ever again, and where the entire cosmos bears God's shalom, peace. We hear it, too, in the psalm today. The psalmist longing for a kingdom where the poor find justice, the needy are defended, and the righteous flourish. This is God's vision for the new world, And this vision informs John the Baptist's message too. Notice that when John yells and shouts to those who will listen to him, he doesn't just say repent and stop. John always links the call to repentance with the why of repentance. The kingdom of heaven is coming near. We repent in order to draw closer to the heaven that Jesus but I'm getting ahead of myself. Long before we get to the kingdom of heaven, long before we get to the redemption of the cosmos, long even before the arrival of the angel Gabriel, first, first, as John the Baptist insists, we must ready ourselves and prepare the way for the extraordinary mystery of God becoming human, that awaits us on Christmas morn. So let me close with this prayer that expresses this point beautifully by Julian of Norwich. Lord, let not our souls be busy ends that have no room for thee or thine, but quiet homes of prayer and praise, where thou mayest find fit company where the needful cares of life are wisely ordered and put away, and wide sweet spaces kept for thee, where holy thoughts pass up and down, and fervent longings watch and wait thy coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.